In a few days, America will elect a president to lead us for the next four years. Because that is such an important decision, I want to speak to the subject today. It is not my intent that my remarks be partisan, but that they be scriptural. I do know that you are going to interpret some things that I say, thus you will determine if you conclude my remarks to be partisan or scriptural, and that's okay with me. You might ask the question, why would you address this subject? And the reason, very simply, is because I believe that citizenship is a spiritual responsibility, especially for the people of God. So as we look at the subject today, we are going to return to the book of Judges, and I'm going to begin by looking at Gideon. Gideon is one of the more interesting judges, at least in my opinion. You recall when we are introduced to Gideon, he is hiding in the wine press from the Midianites. The Lord called him to lead the Hebrew people, calling him a man of courage. Now, as Gideon led the Hebrews, he tore down the altars that had been erected to the pagan gods by his father. He took the Hebrews and defeated the Midianites. So he was a strong leader for the Hebrews. He also was the father of many sons. The Bible says in Judges 8.30, Now Gideon had 70 sons who were his direct descendants, for he had many wives. So he did not spend all of his time chasing after the Midianites. It seems that though he had such an impact at the time of his judgeship, that when he died, his influence died with him. The scripture says in Judges 8.33, As soon as Gideon was dead, the sons of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal bereft their God. So as soon as he died, the scripture says that they turned back to idolatry, that he didn't have the influence I'm sure he thought he would have. I remember when I went in ministry, I was talking with Jake Self, who was the associate pastor of the church where I belonged, and he said, Wendell, if you ever begin thinking you're important, go into the bathroom, fill the tub up with water, stick your fist in it and pull it out, see how big of a hole you left. Well, that is a lesson probably that Gideon learned. Our influence sometimes is not as dramatic as we think it would be. Now, after he died, Israel selected a king. His name was Abimelech. He was a son of Gideon. His name means my father is king. He became king by killing his brothers that he considered to be in opposition to his kingship. Matthew Henry said, we have no reason to think that all or any of Gideon's sons had the least intention to reign over Israel, but he wasn't going to take any chances, so he killed his half-brothers. Now, take your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 9, it's beginning in verse number 1. And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and spoke to them and to the whole clan of the household of his mother's fathers, saying, Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. 
Which is better for you? That 70 men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you? Or that one man rule over you? Or that, or that also remember that I am your bone and your flesh? And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. And they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our relative. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Balaam Berith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of uh, Jeroboam, 70 men on the stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem and all Beth Milo assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar, which was in Shechem. What I want to do today is to begin by posing questions for you to consider. I'm not going to give you answers, but I expect you to find answers yourself. As we consider the election, the first question I would ask you concerning the candidate is, where does the financial support come from to support the candidate? Now, if you look with me in verse number four, it says, they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal Barith. Matthew Henry said, they gave this money out of the house of Baal Barith, that is, out of the public treasury, which out of respect to their idol, they deposited in his temple to be protected by him or out of the offerings that had been made to that idol, which they hoped would prosper the better in his hands for its having been consecrated to their God. In other words, when Abimelech is gathering money for his kingship, for his position, it was connected to idolatry. And as a matter of fact, we will see later that he led the people into idolatry. But then we ask the question about our candidates. It's my understanding that each of them has spent about a billion dollars. Where did that money come from? Well, there are good people on both sides who give money because they believe in the candidate, because they believe in the message, or because they believe in the process of democracy. And so there are a lot of good people who have given on both sides. But you and I also know there are many people who give because they want to control the candidate. The scripture says in Proverbs 22:7, the borrower becomes the lender's slave. So we know that there are some people who give because they want to have control over the candidate to whom they give. In other words, they see it as an investment. So I would say to you, you should ask the question, who are the financial supporters of the candidate? Another question that you should consider, who are the supporters of the candidate? Now look at verse 4 again. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal Barith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. So those who supported Abimelech, the Bible refers to as worthless and reckless. Now the Living Bible translates this, worthless loafers. The King James Version says, vain and light. Now those were his constituents. 
Those were his supporters. Matthew Henry said what soldiers he enlisted. He hired into his service vain and light persons, the scum and scoundrel of the country, men of broken fortunes, giddy heads, and they were fittest to serve his purpose. So who were the supporters of Abimelech? The Bible says they were the scum of the earth. They were the outcasts. What about our candidates? Who are their supporters? Well, again, there are good and bad people on both sides supporting both candidates. But you know and I know there are some supporters who support the candidate because they have an agenda, because they have something they want accomplished. Now, folks, it's up to you to answer the question concerning the finances, who finances the the candidate, concerning the supporters, who supports the candidates. But another question, who are the enemies of the candidates? It has been said a man is known by the enemies he makes. Now look at verse 5. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. You see, he saw his brothers as his enemies, standing in the way of his ambition. It's interesting to me because I was reading in my devotional time this morning in 1 John where the Bible says, who hates his brother is in darkness. So Abimelech was a man who saw his brothers as his enemies, so he eliminated them. Who are the enemies of the candidates? It's something you'll have to determine. Who are those people opposed to the candidates? What are those institutions opposed to the candidates? What are the organizations opposed to the candidates? Now, the reason you need to know that is because it says something about the candidate. So you need to know who are the supporters of the candidate, where did their money come from, and who are the enemies of the candidates. Another question. What is the basic appeal of the candidate? Now look at verse number 2. Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you that 70 men, all the sons of Jeroboam, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Also remember that I am your bone and your flesh. Now at this time Abimelech went to the people of his mother and he said to them, you ought to support me. Why? Because I'm one of you. You ought to support me because I am bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. So the appeal then of Abimelech is that you should support me because I am one of you. Now look at verse 3. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. And they were inclined to follow Abimelech for they said, he is our relative. So the appeal then of Abimelech is that you should support me because I'm one of you. And the Bible says they gave him support because he was one of them. To be candid with you, I don't understand that rationale. I've had people say to me before, boy, I wish we had a Baptist in office. Well, that depends on who the Baptist is. <laughs> there are a lot of Baptists I would not want in office. As a matter of fact, I have a lot of relatives 
I can't think of one that I would want in office. I would not vote for them. In fact, I would not even vote for myself. And yet oftentimes, our temptation is that we select people based on surface rather than substance. For instance, the first king of Israel, Saul, became the king because he looked like a king. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 9, 2, there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. Now, why were they attracted to Saul? Because he was handsome. Because he was tall. Because he looked like a king. Sometimes I feel like our elections are more American Idol than they are elections. We choose people based on how they look, how they speak. If we uh, think they are attractive. Folks, I would, I, would, I would never choose a doctor based on the way the doctor looks. Now, I know that's obvious in my case. But. But when I die, I don't want people to say, you know, old Wendell's dead, but boy, his doctor looks good. <laughs> we should ask the candidates questions about the issues. Where do they stand on the issues? Not whether or not they're handsome and tall, but where do they stand on the issues? What about their religion? Because their beliefs are going to affect the way that they govern. Where do they stand on the issues? Abortion, same-sex marriage, those issues. Where do they stand? Now, I know that leads to a question. And uh, let me just say, I am not interested in what they say they believe. I'm interested in what their policies say they believe. I am interested in what their actions say they believe. Well, that brings up a question people have asked me. said, well, do you, can, can you, as a Christian, can you vote for someone who is not a Christian? Well, I would prefer to have someone that shares my beliefs, but I will accept someone who is not hostile to my beliefs. And I can give you an example of that. Cyrus, Cyrus was the king of Persia. He was not a believer in Jehovah God. And yet he allowed the captives of Israel to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the broken city. And as a matter of fact, out of his treasury, he paid for the restoration of the temple. Now, he was not a believer in God, but he was at least not hostile to their belief. What about the economy? Where do our candidates stand on the economy? Now, I'm very concerned about the economy. Now, I know that you are too, or I hope you are. You realize that we have a $16 trillion debt today in our country that's increasing by trillion dollars every year. Now, that both Republicans and Democrats have added to this thing. As a matter of fact, today, out of every dollar we spend, we are borrowing 40 cents. Will you try that in your home? Try that in your business to see how it works. So I'm, I'm interested in that. And then what about our freedoms? Are they going to protect our freedom or are they going to diminish our freedom? We are losing our freedom so rapidly that it is frightening to me. 
Did you know in New York City you can't even get a big gulp today? You get a, I guess you, what do you do? You buy two smaller ones and drink those. I, those things are absurd to me. I mean, who died and made Bloomberg mom? But we are losing our freedoms today. And we need to be aware that we are losing our freedoms. So that was another question. Our candidates need to understand that God has a role in the process. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Sometimes God gives us leaders to bless us. Sometimes he gives us leaders to judge us. But I do want a leader who recognizes that God has a role. Solomon understood that. When Solomon became the king, he understood the role of God. And so he went to the Lord and said, Lord, I need your wisdom. I don't know how to come in and go out with these people. There's so many. He said, so I need your wisdom. He recognized the role of God. Jehoshaphat recognized the role of God. When he was surrounded by the enemy, he called the people together in Second Chronicles 20, verse number 12, and said, O oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. I believe that we need leaders who recognize that God has a role. Now, I've been asked on a number of occasions, um, why do you think God has not judged America? This is my belief. Maybe right, maybe not, may not be. It's my belief. And there are those who think that we're under the judgment of God now, and, and possibly we are. But here's what I think. I think that the Lord has continued to bless America because we are living off the residue of those people of faith who preceded us. And I believe we're running out. Folks, if we don't have revival in this generation... If we don't turn back to God in this generation, then I think we run out and suffer the consequences. So there's some questions for you to answer. There are questions for you to, to ask and find the answers to. I'm not giving you answers. I want you to ask them. I want you to answer those questions. That leads us to a fable to contemplate in verse number seven. Now, when they told Jotham, he went and stood on the mount of Mount Gerizim. And he lifted his voice and called out. Thus he said to them, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them. Now, this is the half-brother of Abimelech, the one who survived. And he is issuing a warning with a fable. This is the oldest fable in the Bible. So he gives them this fable for their consideration. There are two lessons, I think, that come from it. First of all, those who are most qualified to serve oftentimes will not. Now, we see that in this fable. They went to the olive tree in verse number 8. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go to wave over the trees? The olive tree said, I don't need this honor. I don't need this position. I already provide oil to anoint kings and priests. I already provide the oil to light the sanctuary of God. My leaves and my branches symbolize peace. 
So the olive tree said, I don't need this, and refused. Then they went to the fig tree, verse number 10. Then the trees said to the fig tree, you come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to wave over the trees? The fig tree said, I, I, I'm already enjoying the sweetness of my fruit. I don't need this. And so the Bible says that the fig tree said no. Then they went to the vine, verse number 12. Then the tree said to the vine, you come reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the trees? The vine said, no, I'm already having a good time. I'm producing the wine. Everybody enjoys it. I'm not going to do it. So the first thing that we learn from this fable is that oftentimes those most qualified will not serve. The second thing we learn is when they do not, those unqualified will. So they went to the bramble, verse number 14. Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, you come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, the bramble was not worthy to serve as king of the trees because it had no fruit. It had no leaves. The bramble was a thorn bush. Davis Dictionary of the Bible says tradition says that the crown placed on Christ's head was made from its twigs. So they go to the bramble, and the bramble is willing, but the bramble is unworthy. Political historian William Shirer observed the tendency of nations to elect and put up with corrupt leaders. He said most people identify with flawed candidates, which is why they don't tend to elect saints to public office. Oftentimes, we are willing to vote for those who are not qualified because we identify with them and the people suffer. So there's a fable to contemplate. And then finally, there's the promises of the candidates. Now, candidates make a lot of promises. Are they real or are they pandering to us? The bramble made a promise. Verse 15. The bramble said to the trees, If in truth you are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. There was only one problem with that promise. The bramble didn't produce a shade. It was a thorn bush. We have to really listen to the promises of those who would be king over us. In fact, some years ago, Representative Donald Frazier, Democrat from Minnesota, proposed a Truth in Government Act, which makes it illegal for federal officials to lie to private citizens. He said, under current law, it is a crime for a private citizen to lie to a governmental official, but not for a government, government official to lie to the people. I guess that didn't pass. I don't know. <laughs> the promises. What are the promises? Are they real or are they pandering? Everybody's going to have a strong defense. Are we? It's my understanding that there are cuts before the military that will devastate the military if they go through. 
If everyone's going to turn the economy around, how are they going to do it? Everybody wants to provide a better America. Will it really be better? That's the promise. Will it really be better if I become your leader? Well, Abimelech was elected as king. It's interesting to me as I look at Shechem because I see some similarities. It had been a people blessed by God in its history. It was here that God first appeared to Abraham when he arrived in Cana. It was here that Abraham first raised an altar to God. It was here that Israel assembled to hear the law read when they entered the promised land. And it was here that Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. But Abimelech became the king and things changed. He led them to worship Baal. He led them into idolatry. And God judged them. Verse number 56. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father in killing his 70 brothers. Also God returned all the wickedness of the men of Shechem on their heads. And the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam, came upon them. Folks, elections are always consequential. They are serious issues. It's not about who looks best. We need to know the issues. And the questions I'm interested in is how will our values be impacted? That should be important to you as a believer. How will my values be impacted? What about the security of our country? Will we be more secure or less secure? What about the economy? What will happen to the economy in the days ahead? William Penn said, If we are not willing to be governed by God, we shall be ruled by tyrants. You are going to vote for candidate. That's your business. But if you are a believer, you have a responsibility to at least know where your candidate stands on the issues. And that's your responsibility. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege of living in a country that is free. We thank you for the blessings that have been ours because of the sacrifices of those who preceded us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will be good citizens as the people of God. Lord, today, I pray that you might move in our midst in a spiritual way. For those who are without Christ, that they might receive him. But Lord, bless this invitation, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. As we stand, the choir is going to sing. As they sing, we extend an invitation. If you don't know Christ, that you'll come to receive him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open to you. We'd love to have you. As they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.